Who should be controlling your education? The states or the federal government? Well, that's what we've been talking about today on our educational debate podcast. Hello, I'm Kevin. And I'm Nick. And today is September 29th, 2021. And we will be performing our podcast in our hometown, Mechanicsburg, PA. We'll be focusing on hot topics such as standardized testing, funding, court case examples, and references in our sacred constitution. I will be defending the national government while Kevin defends the state. First topic of today is standardized testing. How do you feel about standardized testing as it is a nationwide testing system? Do you believe that states should make the tests for their own states? And are these tests a good representation to see how you will do in the future? I'm glad you asked that, Nick. I personally think that the state should control standardized testing. Each state has been changing their curriculums involving what students should learn in each stage of their educational careers. For instance, in some countries in Pennsylvania, they learn world history as a freshman. In Georgia, however, they teach world history to students when they reach their junior year of high school. Although you say that each state is taught different material at different times, these tests are more for teacher evaluations and finding areas for improvement. So whichever class had the better score will, will reflect that, and that is what the main goal of these tests are. According to Timothy Hilton, a high school social studies teacher in Los Angeles, he stated his perspective on how these tests reflect teachers. He said, no self-respecting teacher would use a single student grade on a single assignment as a final grade for the entirety of the course. So why would we rely on one source of information in the determinations of a teacher's overall quality? The more data that can be provided, the more accurate the teacher evaluation decisions will end up being. This tells us that even teachers believe that these standardized testings, which bring in a lot of data, accurately result in teachers' lectures. A positive regarding standardized testing is the indication it gives for students' future success. Matthew P., Ph.D., founder of Academics Approach, has stated that many studies have proven that these standardized tests indicate your future job success and your success in college. One more point is that the way that teachers grade their students. Two students in different schools could perform the same level of response. However, one may receive an A and the other a B. The standardized test eliminates this flaw as each student is receiving the same test. You can say this to the public, however, these tests are not an accurate representation of the student's knowledge of the world. Different students will have different personal experiences regarding which teacher they had that they were taught the material on the topics covered in standardized testing. Like I said before, people learn different things at different times in their lives, especially in standardized tests. Many people in Ohio might take the ACT, which is a standardized test that every student will have in their freshman year, since they learn the biology and chemistry behind the material. In Pennsylvania, the smartest children will take it as sophomores, which can create an unbowed scale since they have one more year of learning in schools. Anyway, standardized testing is a controversial opinion that people have with. Some say they want a national standardized test, some for a state standardized test. That was a great first question. Now let's go to the next one. A debate is uh, whether the national or state government should control education. Let's hear points from both sides to see who should control education. In this part of the debate, we will use our sacred constitution. Now let me ask you, Nick. What parts of the Constitution defend the federal government receiving jurisdiction over education? In Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the Constitution, it's a general welfare clause. 
This clause lists many powers granted to Congress. Many professionals who have analyzed the Constitution have connected education to it. It is interpreted that the federal government assumes the power to initiate education under this clause. Although education is not specifically mentioned in the Constitution, the General Welfare Clause assumes that the national government controls it. While they might say this, you could control the power of education in schools. The Tenth Amendment argues against this. The Tenth Amendment states that all other powers that are not states in Amendments 1 through 9 of the Constitution will go to the states. This means that education should be to the states. You can argue that the Constitution was ratified in 1787 and more amendments will be added to the Constitution. However, if we are just going off of the amendments on the Constitution, the Tenth Amendment states that education should be to the states. Also, the Tenth Amendment specifically says that the states receive these powers, while you argue is just based upon assumptions. That is a very solid argument, Kevin. However, if the states assume the power over education, they must abide by the 14th Amendment. This is the Equal Protection Clause. This means that states cannot limit children who have different ethnicities, skin color, gender, and the list goes on. So the states must allow everyone equal and fair access to education, as it is defended by this amendment. That wraps up the portion about the Constitution, so now let's talk about specific court cases that have occurred over the history of our country. What specific court cases have implied whether the national or state government should have jurisdiction over education? Please explain what the case was about, the result of the case, and most importantly, how it talked about the jurisdiction over education. Well, the United States versus Lopez is an important court case for a state government. For those of you that don't know about this case, during the court case, the discussion about the 1990 Gun-Free School Zones Act was up and about by George Bush, their president at that time. In 1995, Lopez, a 12th grader in a high school in Texas, carried a gun with him when he went to school. He argued that the Congress did not have the constitutional authority to ban guns in those schools. He won the court case and they proved that to deliver an act such as this should be decided not by the federal government, but by the local government. Therefore, defending the state government and its rights. There are plenty more going on and about. However, we'll hear what Nick has to say about the court cases that help the federal government. A court case defending the national government receiving jurisdiction over education is a classic Brown versus Board of Education of 1954. This is, a one, this is one of the bigger court cases in our nation's past as it legally ended racial segregation in public schools nationwide. The Supreme Court's ruling in this case has been interpreted to give the federal government the power to intervene in cases of legally sanctioned discrimination in schools. For example, after the federal government was given this power, they instituted a mandate for children with disabilities to have equal access and opportunity when it comes to education. In addition, the Supreme Court's ruling gave the executive branch a legal precedent for enforcing legal action for education. Overall, this case most importantly ended racial segregation in schools, while also giving the federal government some power over education. Thank you, Nick. Those two court cases are very famous in our na nation's history, and both defend our viewpoints very well. And we have been targeting a specific topic. Let's now talk, ab talk about our main points. Nick, you start things off. 
Think about specific bills or acts in the past and specific policies that the federal government will follow for every public school in America. Beginning in the mid-1960s, the federal government was given more of a role in education. In 1965, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act was approved, a bill proposed by Francis Keppel. This act alone allowed the federal government to have major involvement in education. For example, the federal government has been more involved in funding schools in the past decade. This act was crucial for the federal government's involvement in education as they had, li as they had little very involvement before 1960. This is true, but the same could be said for the states. The nation was falling behind from everybody else during the 1960s, especially when Russia created uh, Sputnik 1, which is, which is one of the sa satellites, which is also one of the reasons why the bill was passed. However, the ECEA during this time offered state funding for educational programs on a conditional basis, in which they receive money from the federal government if they meet the requirements of the act and qualify for it. To counteract your statement, there is a Department of Education. This is a federal department in charge of education and assists the president in making educational policies. Continuing this, the Department of Education and all of the federal government has four principles of education that should be implemented at all schools in the country. The overall message with the four points is that the federal government is ensuring a fair and high quality education for grades K through 12. That will do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Educational Debate Podcast regarding whether the na national or state government should have jurisdiction over education. Thank you again and see you on our next podcast. Have a great rest of your day.